And hello once again. Welcome to another edition of the Hockey News on the Queue. It's episode four for us. I'm Will McLaren. He's Jamie Tozer. And uh, this is a rare opportunity in that uh, we are actually within probably about 15 minutes drive from one another. I'm in my uh, humble abode in Coal Harbor, home to a couple of well-known Q alumni. And uh, Jamie, you're over in Halifax for uh, for a couple of days and yeah. uh, got to see a little bit of hockey in the process. Tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, the game on Sunday, um, kind of <laughs> kind of what uh, I think we probably expected going in. Not uh, not much of a contest uh, between an ex- extremely shorthanded St. John team um, and a very good Halifax team. Probably one of the most um, shorthanded Sea Dogs team I can remember in terms of injury loss. Um, just uh, <laughs> catastrophic amount of injuries uh, to go up against a, a Halifax team. So not not surprising to see the result seven nothing. Um, but I honestly, it probably could have been worse. So, uh, uh, honestly, a pretty respectable showing by, um, the CDOS lineup that did play. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, in a year in which, uh, depth isn't exactly the calling card for the Dogs, of course, you know, uh, rebuilding from a Memorial cup triumph, uh, last year to virtually have almost every player of, of significance, uh, from that run. Yeah. Out of the lineup, whether it's Nicholas Kurtabies in net or mm-hmm. you know your your Brady Burns's, your Cam McDonald's, and you know the list goes on. It's it's definitely a, a tough string for the Sea Dogs, um, and I agree. You know, uh, seven nothing. Uh, it's uh, if anything, it you know might be you know, the dogs don't look at it this way, but you know maybe a little bit flattering from the standpoint of the uh, the mismatch on the ice. You know they kept it close. Um, mm-hmm. It's two nothing, I believe, after the first period. So you know they 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 did, did what they could, and on the third game of a uh, maritime road trip as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but before that, of course, uh, they were in Cape Breton, um, ended up losing four nothing to the Eagles, who've now won two straight, which is uh, happening not a moment too soon for uh, for that franchise after uh, winning just one of their first ten games. Uh, that was a special night in uh, in Sydney, Nova Scotia. We'll get uh, that. Uh, in a little while, but uh, first of all, we'll just focus on the Eagles in general. A couple of big wins. Not only did they have that 4 nothing win against St. John on Saturday, but they also had a 5-3 win against the provincial rivals from Halifax. The Mooseheads went up to center 200 and uh, ended up with a rare regulation loss uh, in their uh, in their column. Uh, but uh, Eagles with uh, that first regular regulation win of the season and uh, getting some contributions from, uh, first of all, uh, at least one newcomer and uh, another guy who we haven't heard much of uh, leading into this part of the season. Yeah, it's been a bit of a quiet year for uh, for everyone's favorite uh, everyone's favorite Ivan, Ivan Squared, or Ivan Ivan or Yvonne Yvonne, depending on uh, on your pronunciation guide. Uh, but yeah, great to see uh, a strong performance for him. been, a like you said, a quiet start to the year, but a four-assist night um, and probably the Eagles' biggest game of the year um that was great to see and will you called this i mean you pretty much you didn't really call out a win but you you said the eagles were were probably going to have a good showing in this game and you were right yeah i mean it's you know you you, you don't want to make it sound like uh, uh you know exactly what you're talking about but uh <laughs> at the end of the day it was a key game you know uh coming off a tough road trip through quebec something yeah. had to give and sometimes those provincial rivalry games uh 
are, are just the tonic and thankfully for them it was and you know uh, also a little bit of uh, shake up in the Eagles lineup uh, Zachary Gravel was traded 20 year old off to uh, shoot me to make way for another 20 year old coming from the WHL and defenseman Trevor Thurston he scored his first goal in the QMJHL in that 5-3 win against Halifax I was watching that game actually and uh, uh, certainly not looking at a place. I don't think uh, Thurston was brought in really as a big offensive catalyst by any stretch of the imagination, but he could certainly pound the puck, and, and he rifled one uh, past uh, Brady James in the Halifax net uh, for that one. And, uh, you know, talking about Ivan Ivan, you know, he his role continued on Saturday night, two points in uh, uh, in that victory over the Sea Dogs. Uh, Olivier Shatney, you know, he's got... Uh, He's got two wins as a Cape Breton Screaming Eagle, and both of them are shutouts now. Now 24 saves uh, for him as well. So uh, the Eagles uh, hopefully uh, getting on a bit more of a roll here. They're uh, taking on Bathurst uh, on Tuesday. We're recording this on Monday night. And then it's Charlottetown Thursday, Friday for a home-and-home. And And back home against Shikudami on Sunday. So a very busy week for Cape Breton. Uh, Another team of note. Got to talk a little bit about the drum of Voltigeur as well, uh, who uh, very quietly, Jamie, I would say, uh, have ended up with a 7-3 record in their last 10 games. They are in a very contentious Western Conference. They are doing everything in their power to uh, climb up the standings. Yeah, and we've talked a little bit about uh, Drummondville in the past with Tyler Peddle and you know, a bit of a bit of an interesting team they've got some some notable guys but just still not quite there yet i don't think um uh, but yeah good to see them kind of picking up some momentum and or i think for us in particularly uh, we're kind of paying attention a little bit because they've got the maritime road trip coming up um but yeah you know pedal a good performance um and they're finally getting some goaltending as well you know jacob gooby who hasn't Maybe not quite lived up to expectations so far in his Q career, but he's certainly having a, a pretty good, pretty good year here and a strong win, uh, beating a, a very good Sherbrooke team. So that's a that's a huge win for them, um, and I'm sure a big confidence boost for them uh, heading into the the later half of this first half. You know, we talked about uh, Gatineau with the injury troubles, uh, which continue. To this point, well, Drummondville, you pretty much put them in the same bucket, Jamie. You know, three key guys, and talk about in net with Jacob Gooby. Gooby, you know, the the, high, the focus is really on him right now because, of course, Riley Mercer, who had a fantastic start to the season, he's out four to six weeks with a lower body injury. Mm-hmm. Then you've got, of course, Maverick Lamaru, first-round pick of the Arizona Coyotes last year. He's out for, for a month or two. Justin Cote as well, one of their top scorers for the last couple of years out for another month or two. So, you know, definitely Drummondville um, doing the best they can to stay afloat in the Western Conference, but uh, certainly uh, uh, having to find some creative ways to do it, given mm-hmm. some of the personnel in, uh, that's uh, out of the lineup. Yeah, and, you know, I believe they have Kevin Broussard, who picked up a win on uh, over Schwinnigan. That's a, a real journeyman goalie. He's played in just about everywhere he can play over the past few years. So uh, good to see him pick up a win and maybe uh, – find some opportunity uh, uh, when he has a chance to, to play and perform. So good for him to see him pick up a win. Yeah, for sure. So the Volts, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Jamie, in the Maritimes this coming weekend, and it's a three and three too. Those are always fun. All through New Brunswick, they're in Moncton on Friday night, St. John Saturday night, and then capping it off on Bathurst, in Bathurst on Sunday afternoon. 
And uh, we're going to turn our attention back to the Cape Breton Eagles, um, one of two teams that are going to come up uh, in prominence here in this next section because we had a couple of uh, number retirements in the queue over the weekend in Cape Breton. It was Chris Culligan. Uh, his number seven went up to the rafters at, seven, at uh, Center 200 on Saturday night. He was a five-year guy in Cape Breton. He was, he's got 364 regular season and playoff games under his belt. Part of one of the, uh, actually the biggest uh, run that the Eagles have had in the postseason to date. That, that was uh, to game seven of the 2007 QMJHL semifinals. Went to UMB, was a winner there. Came back as an assistant coach uh, with the Eagles for a number of years. Handed in his re- resignation over the summer. But uh, still very much a, a notable name and, a, and an impactful factor for this Eagles franchise. Yeah, and I, I love this because if you're a hockey fan in the Maritimes over the past decade, you know who Chris Culligan is. Uh, but outside the Maritimes, you probably don't. And it's cool to see someone who's not a superstar who didn't go on to NHL stardom but meant so much to a franchise um, to see him recognized and see, his, see him have his number retired. Um was a terrific, terrific junior player. Um, and I remember him well from his days at UMB. I was going to UMB at the same time he was playing there. Um, captain UMB for a couple years. And if you're captaining UMB for a couple years, that means you're you're a pretty elite player. So uh, really cool to see someone get recognized like that who means so much to a franchise um, and a Sydney product at that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it kind of opens up the, the conversation about, you know, number of retirements who – who, who could we see have it happen to them with the various franchises in the queue? And there's almost, it almost seems like every team has their own mantra. And uh, Cape Breton definitely going the local route. We've seen it uh, on occasion with other teams. Uh, one of the ones that comes to mind immediately is uh, um, Ramuski, uh retiring Jonathan Bullius, a number he captained their Memorial Cup winning team in 2000, a name that would not be well known to most mm-hmm. fans in the queue, especially fans in the queue nowadays. Yeah. But uh, his his numbers in the draft in the rafters there, um, and and there's a few examples of that uh, throughout uh, throughout the league. Sam Lang, who uh, played for Gatineau back in the uh, back then, there was still Hull back in the '70s. He's another one. Uh, never won much. That was before really the heyday of the Olympic, but uh, still uh, a meaningful player in in the eyes of the franchise. Um, so from that standpoint, I couldn't agree with you more, Jamie. It was just nice to see uh, a guy who meant a lot to that franchise, regardless of whatever happened to him beyond his career. He didn't necessarily have to play pro. And, and Chris had a cup of co- coffee in the pro ranks in the, in the minor mm-hmm. pros. But uh, that wasn't the basis for this. It was, his, it was what he meant to the franchise. And that kind of holds, uh, I think, in my opinion now, a little bit more. Uh, weight on on some level um the other retirement is a guy that a few more people would know especially people who are of a certain vintage and i don't want to give away my age as i do more often than not on this program but uh, yeah i remember this guy <laughs> and that's uh, mark Denis, who had his number 33 retired by the shikudmi segnia also on saturday night he spent three three years in shikudmi from 94 to 97 Helped lead that team to the, to a Memorial Cup appearance in 97 uh, with Shikudami. Uh, they were the second QMJHL entry that year, the uh, President Cup winning Hull team, who went on to win the Memorial Cup as well as be the host team. They were the other Q uh, representatives that year. Um, very first draft pick in Colorado Avalanche history after they moved to Quebec. 
first rounder, 25th overall. I'll never forget him being drafted and the Avalanche didn't have their jerseys created at that point. He actually wore an NHL logoed jersey for his draft picture. And, uh, you know, he he, uh, was uh, out of Colorado fairly quickly, only brief appearance there, but went on to a long career uh, with Columbus, Tampa, Montreal, even for a couple of games. Um, But the thing that I always remember with with, uh, Mark Denis is the World Juniors. And particularly in '97, um, it's hard to believe. But back then, you know, we don't see it nearly as much now. Uh, but back then, you know, Quebec really was the goaltender factory, quote unquote, mm-hmm. in uh, in the rank, in the junior hockey ranks. And uh, it, it seemed to be one coming down the pipe every year. And and uh, you know, whether it was Eric Fischer or Jose Theodore or Stefan Fisay, uh, well, Mark Denis was. Almost kind of towards the end of that line, there was Roberto Luongo after him, but after that, it just wasn't quite as prevalent uh, to have the Quebec guys in net virtually every World Junior. But the performance he put on in 1997 in Geneva when uh, Canada won their fifth gold in a row was just legendary. A 2-0 shutout against the Americans in the final. Um, But, uh, you know, for a guy like uh, like Marc Denis, um, you know, I kind of wondered, you know, why didn't this happen sooner? I know it's the 50th anniversary up there, and that's part of the festivities, but, you know, maybe a little bit overdue, but certainly great to see Martini get his due in Chikudami. Yeah, and I actually learned a lot from listening to you because Martini's a little little before <laughs> my time of following the queue, so uh, thank you for that that insight. And I certainly remember him playing more in the NHL than than in junior, so, and I believe he's a broadcaster now. He uh, is, so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. great to see him get recognized. But you bring up an interesting point, too, because a guy like Mark Denis is kind of the opposite of Chris Culligan, who went on to have a long uh, pro career, played a lot in the NHL. Um, kind of brings up the question, you know, when should junior players get their number retired? Should they get them retired shortly after they leave their junior team, or should they get it um, when their career is completely done? Uh, which I think is kind of an interesting little debate. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, we're, we've seen it uh, from franchise to franchise. It, it can sometimes depend on the, uh, um, on the mentality of the fran- franchise and how they want to do it. Sometimes it's situational. You know, we, you know, down here in Halifax, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion based on previous history with, you know, Jean-Sebastien Jaguar, Jody Shelley, Alex Tanga already up in the rafters here. It's only a matter of time before 22 goes up in the rafters for Nathan McKinnon, 27 for Jonathan mm-hmm. Drouin, maybe even 31 for Zach Fucali. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see what goes on. But uh, sometimes it's just a matter of when you can get those guys in town, too. That's mm-hmm. uh, especially the ones that have had a, a longstanding pro career. And, you know, you being in the St. John area, Jamie, I know that there's a few guys that are probably on your list of names you'd like to see or, or numbers you'd like to see uh, up in the TD station uh, rafters as well i think every team might have one or two of those guys but st john they have yet to retire a number yeah and the cedos it's it's a little interesting because um they've established a hall of fame um and jonathan huberto's in there mike thomas is in there um you know guys who are very well known sea dogs and certainly are worthy of having the number retired um and no player after jonathan huberto's worn number 11 no player after mike thomas has worn number 17 um, and Alex Grant as well, who was the first draft pick in CDOS history. No player has worn number 20 um, after Alex Grant. So those numbers are kind of unofficially retired, um, but they haven't been retired. So I think you kind of have to assume that those numbers will be retired at some point, even with the establishment of the Hall of Fame. 
Um, but I guess it'll just be uh, a matter of time as to when, you know, Thomas, uh, his playing career is done. He's, he's involved with the alumni uh, with the CEDAWs and was heavily involved with Memorial Cup and bringing a lot of those guys back. Um, Grant's still in the KHL and we know where Huberto is. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with those guys and, and when the CEDAWs decide to, uh, to hang those numbers up. It's, it's almost kind of like a Toronto Maple Leafs mentality. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but, uh, you know, for years, the, the Leafs, they – they had very few retired jerseys, mm-hmm. but they had honored numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, they, where you know a guy like Bill Barilko or or Ace Bailey, guys who had their careers cut short, uh, they were retired. But you know, a lot of the guys, the Sittlers, the Mahavliches, the Keons, they simply had theirs honored. And uh, maybe in a way, that's kind of what the Sea Dogs are doing, at least for now. You know, mm-hmm. they they're taking those numbers out of circulation and and um, just. Uh, uh, say by their time, but uh, they're just waiting for uh, what they feel is the appropriate time to uh, put those uh, numbers up. You know, and I look, you know, I spent many years in Moncton. Um, uh, apparently, Corey Crawford uh, is supposed to be getting his number 29 retired okay. uh, at some point. Um, and the only reason I know that is actually by going to the league media guide. It is slated. It was slated for retirement last year. It's now slated for t- retirement at some unknown point this year. Whether that's the case or not, don't take my word for it. I'm just basically going by by what's uh, in in the media guide. His number 29 has been worn since he left. Roman will wore it in 2011-2012 as the first name that comes to my mind. Um, so there's another situation, you know, besides a guy like Crawford, who presumably is going to get his retired soon, you know, maybe a Connor Garland. If, yeah. you, if you follow that, uh, that rationale of, of, of guys who went on to substantial NHL careers, who started mm-hmm. in Moncton, who did some, who, who were, who uh, had, had that sort of background. You look at other teams, you know, uh, one thing I did not know until going through the media guide, um, the Randa Huskies. They're set to retire a number. They already have guys like Mike Ribeiro uh, in mm-hmm. the uh, in the Raptors now, but uh, they're retiring the number of Marc Andre Bourdon. And Marc Andre Bourdon was a, a defenseman who had, I believe, a, a a bit of a pro career after he left, probably about fifteen years ago. It's been fifteen years at least since uh, he's been in the queue. Uh, but he was a lifelong Husky, and I believe he was part of the first team that made the President Cup final back in t- two thousand eight. And it makes me wonder, you know, maybe up there we see a guy like Philip Myers mm-hmm. or a guy like Raphael Harvey Pinard, who were part of President Memorial Cup winning teams, see their names in the in the rafters. I think in Schwinnigan, I think it's a very safe bet. You'll see Xavier Borgol, Borgol who we're going to talk a little bit more about in a couple of seconds, or Maverick Bork have their numbers in the rafters. So it's interesting. To your point, Jamie, it seems to be, it depends on what franchise you talk to or, or what the mentality is and what they base their, their rationale on. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, it's interesting to watch because these ceremonies, you know, they, they're, they're meant to be rare. They're meant to be special. And uh, sometimes what makes them special is just the rationale behind, you know, what got us here in the first place. Why did, why did the team decide now and this player? It's, it, 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 it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's cool. And I, I like that teams kind of do their own thing because I think we're we're kind of in a time now where a lot of teams, a lot of franchises, they all kind of do the same thing. So it's cool to see teams really going different routes um, with uh, with number retirements. And, and you know, you mentioned some names there. Boy, there's 
there's a lot of guys for the past 20 years in the queue, probably worthy of, uh, of having their number retired. So it'll be cool to see uh, what happens with a lot of those guys as their uh, professional career has slowly come to an end over the next uh, 10 years or so. Yeah. Also of note too, uh, just a quick note, uh, a couple of other retirements that are uh, supposedly slated for this year, according to the, uh, the Quebec league media guy, Thomas Beauregard up in Bathurst, uh, he had a 71 goal season up there. Still the last guy to score 70 in the queue to this point. Uh, his number's getting retired in Bathurst this year. I think you'll see Matthew Perot's retired at some point. Uh, mm-hmm. Bathurst is a big fan of retiring numbers. That goes back to their Laval days. Yep. And uh, Steve Gosselin, another Shikudmi Segnea, who uh, was uh, just a little bit before Mark Denis' time, the early 90s. He won a President Cup with uh, that team in 1994. He's also slated, um, as well as Bourdon, perhaps Crawford. And in uh, Gatineau, uh, for their 50th anniversary, they will be honoring uh, Alain Vigneault and Ben Logrou, a pair yeah. of uh, former head coaches. And a lot of those a lot of those jerseys retirements lining up with uh, team anniversaries, too. Bathurst celebrating anniversary, Shikudami. So it's kind of a, a link there to maybe a hint of when some teams might retire some jerseys in the future. Yeah, no, there's there's uh, a lot whole whole lot of methods to a whole lot of madness sometimes. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's going to be great to see uh, all of those gentlemen honored as they uh, are rightfully uh, deserved to be. Let's talk about a few players around the league, Jamie. You know, um, there are guys this year who we both expected they're going to have big seasons. Josh Wawa. We were talking to Jordan Dume last year, last week, I should say. Um, kind of the the more obvious guy, Zach Dean. You know, the, 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 that sort of caliber of player. But you look around the league, and there's a few guys, and there always is from year to year, that are really coming out of their shell. And uh, I know there's a couple that come to my mind right off the bat. We've talked about Justin Gill mm-hmm. in Sherbrooke already, who just stepped into that top-line role with the yep. Phoenix. He's got 31 points in 15 games and has not missed a beat playing on that top, top line with uh, uh, Joshua Waugh. Um, Another guy that I think is worth bringing up is uh, Daniel Borash. Um, I watched the Huskies here in Halifax a couple of weeks ago. The guy just, he knows how to shoot the puck. He knows when to shoot the puck. And for Daniel Borash, the answer to that last question is often. If he thinks he has a sliver of an opportunity, the puck is probably coming off his stick and stick and it's head towards a goaltender. He's, you know, the, the old infamous Cy Young co- uh, commentary about uh, goals versus assists, mm-hmm. 14 goals, seven assists. The mm-hmm. guy knows how to shoot the puck and he's really driving the offense for uh, a, a team in Randa Randa, who's probably doing a little bit better than what some people expected mm-hmm. so far this year. But, uh, you know, it's always interesting to see these guys sort of rise to the rise to the occasion. Maybe when you don't expect it, Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got a couple guys on my list who aren't necessarily near the top of the, the scoring leaderboard, but a couple guys who have really um, improved their numbers compared to last year. One of them is um, Charlottetown, Michael Horth, um, who had uh, 11 goals all of last year in 56 games, already has nine goals this year. Um, you talk about a Cy Young guy, nine goals, one assist, 10 points in 16 <laughs> games. So that's pretty impressive. I think he, was, I think he had eight goals and no assists for a while. Um, mm-hmm. So an impressive start for him um, and, you know, a guy who was probably far down the depth chart than a deep Charlottetown team and is having a much bigger role this year. Similar to Charles Savoy has always been kind of a depth guy, uh, but now in, in Quebec, he's kind of flourishing offensively. Uh, we, I think we always kind of expected to see that eventually as a second round pick by St. John a while ago. So uh, good to see him having uh, 
an offensively good, strong season. I know we talked about it on the show before, but 13 points in 17 games already this year. Only had 10 points in 49 games all last year uh, between St. John and Cape Breton. Yeah, and you know, you talk specifically about Michael Horth. Uh, there's a guy who, um, seeing him last year uh, a little bit uh, with the Islanders, he uh, obviously he was down on the depth chart. Uh, good energy. He was an energy guy, and I think he's still that energy guy. But you know, being thrust into that more pronounced role, um, he's finding a way to find the back of the net. Now, obviously, he's not the guy that you're going to re- rely on for offense, game in and game out. He's just not that kind of guy. And really, on on Charlottetown this year, there are far fewer of those guys uh, than there have been in years past. You know, Xavier Simino's gone, um, Brett Budgel's gone, you know, Patrick Gay, just to name a few. But he's finding a way to contribute, and I think. That speaks as well to Michael Horst's uh, abilities as it does to Jim Holton, whom, for my money, probably the best coach in the queue right mm-hmm. now. Definitely. His ability to plug him into the right situations. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, with that, that breeds a lot of confidence. And sometimes all it takes is a couple of goals. And all of a sudden, within, you know, a short period of time, you got five, six, seven under your, un, under your belt. And you're rolling. And I think, in a way, that's kind of what's happened with Michael Horth. Um, you know, the team needs to rely on different people for offense this year. And he has been more than reliable. Yep. Yep. Yeah, great season for him. And, um, you know, we were kind of doing this exercise of guys who are surprising us. And it kind of brought to mind two guys who I've, re- I've never really seen a comparable, but Dana Goche and Boko Imama in their overage seasons, two guys yep. who – were never known as offensive guys, and then they just suddenly broke out into 40 goal scores when you kind of least expected it. So you know, you just never know um, when guys might kind of bloom late in their careers. Yeah, Boko Mama, probably still one of my favorite players in the last 10 years or so in the queue. Um, you know, started up Big Camo, as, as you well know, Jamie made his way to St. John, was on the 2017 President Cup champion team. And in the beginning, you know, he was there for, you know, 10 or 15 goals a year, and protection mm-hmm. that was the that was the the primary uh part of uh, of his resume but uh, uh you know if you're danny flynn in 2017 and you've you've got you know the 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 matthew josephs and the spencer smallmans and the matthew highmores floating around you know you know where the offense is coming from or a 16 year old joe valeno for that matter and then all of a sudden you get 40 from Boko Amama. I mean, you've just got to be laughing at that point. It's like, okay, everything really is rolling well this year. We're, we're probably in for something special. And sure enough, that team was. Let's take a look at our NHL team profile. We we're in Calgary last week. We're going to go a little further north this week and talk about the Edmonton Oilers. So the Oilers, nobody in the queue right now that is drafted by the Oilers nobody in the NHL as of right now who is Q alumni with the Oilers. But there's at least a couple of names in there that will probably make a correction to the NHL part of my statement. A couple of guys who will be banging on the door, already banging on the door in uh, Bakersfield, but the Condors, Xavier Borgol and Raphael Lavoie, along with goaltender Olivier Rodrigue. Yeah, and Borgo is off to a really good start in his pro career. Six points, three goals, and nine games with Bakersfield. So I think we all know that he's he's probably on a little bit of a fast track to the NHL at some point. Um, and if he's not, I, I, 
I wouldn't be shocked to see him be kind of a, a big piece in a potential trade for the Oilers down the road if they want some older guys. I'm sure Borgo's a, a wanted prospect around the league. Um, then Lavoie, I think a lot of us, is, you know, Will, you probably watched him a lot more than I did, but Lavoie is a guy that we watched in the queue for a long time, but hasn't quite found that scoring touch um, in the pro level, but we'll see if he can kind of find it over time. Um, maybe he'll turn into a guy who uh, over time finds his game and finds his groove in the pro level, but hasn't quite found it yet. Um, and then Rodrigue, another guy we mentioned uh, the devastating 2020 Wildcats team probably could have had a president cup ring, maybe even a Memorial cup ring. If that, uh, if that season hadn't been canceled by COVID. Yeah, and you know, to expand on Lavoie a little bit, uh, I watched him for four years down here and developed into just a dynamic offensive threat. He always had that ability. He actually came up midway through a 16-year-old season and just uh, just took the ball and ran with it on what was still a very young Moosehead's team with guys like Jared McIsaac and, and Benoit Olivier Gruel. But the one thing I will say about Raphael Lavoie, and it may not be the most polite thing, but there were times up until about midway through the 2018-2019 season where he could be the most frustrating player to watch mm-hmm. on any team in mm-hmm. the league. And it just there were some nights where you wondered, you know, where like what Raphael Lavoie were you going to get? Obviously, he was a lot more offensively focused. There's a lot of guys like that, but you still wondered, okay, what what are we going to get here tonight? Mm-hmm. Um, then he went to World Junior Camp in 2018 at Christmas time. And he was one of the first cuts. And he came back and he became the game breaker for the Halifax Mooses leading into their season, uh, the second half of their season, I should say, as Memorial Cup hosts. It was like a light switch came turned on for him. And he was he went from being um, a guy that you could rely on more often than not, but not always to consistent threat. Uh, we talked about the finish to the season Jordan Dume had. Raphael Lavo, if you go back in the records in 2018-2019, he had almost as impressive a finish to the season. He was he was their top scorer for the Mooseheads in the playoffs and scored one of the prettiest goals that you'll ever see in the Memorial Cup final. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, the Mooseheads fell to the Randoranda Huskies, but it wasn't for lack of effort from a guy like Raphael Lavoie, who ended up almost making the Oilers. He was actually on one of their final rosters just before they trimmed down at the beginning of the season. Wouldn't be surprised if him or Xavier Borgol, for that matter, get a call up even as early as this year. Of course, you know, Rodrigue, a lot of time in Drummondville and Moncton, we're, we're aware of what he's done, what unfortunately he didn't get a chance to do. And uh, one, one name I got to throw out there, because I'll be honest with you, I didn't even realize this guy was still playing, let alone playing for the Bakersfield Condors, is Jason Demers a guy who I watched in Moncton 17 years ago now, uh, played for Moncton, Victoriaville defenseman, um, was leading goal scorer, or leading point getter amongst defensemen in the league his last year in, in junior back in 2008. Um, was a member of the Canadian Olympic team last year as well in uh, 2022 at Pyeongchang and uh, ended up um, signing a PTO with the Oilers uh, at the beginning of the uh, 2022 season and um, didn't make the Oilers, but ended up going to Bakersfield. So good to see him uh, continuing on in his uh, pro career. Um, we'll talk briefly as well about the ECHL, um, only because 
there are a lot of guys. <laughs> it's a laundry list. I was putting this together last night and I just, I had to stop typing for a while. I was starting to cramp up. <laughs> there are a number of guys with uh, ties to the queue, some fairly recent, some from quite some time ago, but still, you know, banging on the door in the life of pro hockey and, uh, and uh, some of them with a decent amount of success. And for whatever reason, there has been a major pipeline between the Fort Wayne Comets and UNB um, over the past few years. Sam and McFalls, Matthew Budens, uh, Benjamin Gagne, and another guy who's not on your list there, Will Oliver Cooper, who just got called up to the AHL. Um, all UNB guys, all Q guys, all who played in Fort Wayne. So major, major pipeline um, for whatever reason between UNB and Fort Wayne. Um, and they've had a lot of success over the past couple of years too, so. Yeah. Um, cool to see a lot of those guys having success with uh, one of the, the marquee markets um, in the ECHL. And a cool little uh, connection there, too, in Fort Wayne with the Comets, which, by the way, that franchise has been around forever. Mm-hmm. Um, they were in the old IHL. Now they're, yeah. they're uh, firmly entrenched as an ECHL franchise. But two guys, I'll bring them up, if only because it gives me the opportunity to bring up the uh, dearly departed, rest in peace, Lewiston Maniacs. <laughs> Stefano Giliotti, yes, moment of silence. <laughs> Stefano Giliotti and Olivier Legault. Stefano Giliotti um, was a member of the 2007 President Cup winning team from Lewiston, still the only U.S. team to uh, win the President Cup or as QMJHL champions, one of only two U.S. franchises ever in the queue. Um, but uh, I, I, and I can't help but wonder uh, if there's a connection here between. Stefano Giuliani and Olivier Legault. Olivier Legault is an, assist, is an assistant coach in Fort Wayne right now um, and is a former teammate of Giuliani's from Lewiston, third days in, in Lewiston. Uh, Legault was, well, I, I believe in his playing days, Legault was about six foot five and 265 pounds. Um, wasn't there for offense. Uh, was if this was the NHL, probably wasn't going to win the Lady Bing, but <laughs> you've said enough. Yep. <laughs> yes, but ended up uh, with a with a decent little pro career that uh, in, in the minor pros that that spanned numerous teams and leagues, and is now an assistant coach. So these two uh, hooking up uh, from their old Lewiston days uh, to uh, hopefully bring a winner to uh, Fort Wayne in their uh, long hockey history. Let's take a look at the 2023 draft prospect of the week. And, uh, you know, we always, we, it seems every week we're talking about Jordan Dume. Well, let's talk about one of his teammates. It's Matthew Catafor. Uh, he's a winger with the Mooseheads, uh, more often than not been playing uh, off and on, on the line with uh, either Dume or on, on the second line and has not looked out of place one bit after a very strong rookie season, Jamie. Yeah. And kind of a slow start last year, but really turned it on in the second half and, um, from what I've been reading a lot about him, I think if he can kind of keep that consistency over the entire season, I think he'll probably steadily rise up the rankings, especially if he can keep producing at the the pace he is offensively so far. So I think just uh, just if he can be steady all year, um, I think he'll be in a good position to get drafted. Kind of seems to be around the third round right now for this year's draft. Really, really becoming a big part of that Moosehead's core group, though. That's kind of expected to peak next year. Um, not really someone who, you know, you leave thinking, wow, he was really flashy or really stood out, but just kind of a, a steady guy who, who is able to put up points. 
Yeah, and and the thing is with Matthew Catafor, it's the first thing that I noticed really when I first started to watch him last year. He was drafted sixth overall, by the way, by the Mooseheads in 2021. Um, he very, very rarely makes a mistake with the puck on his mm-hmm. stick. He has very good vision. He's got good instincts from that standpoint. He knows when he's in a good shooting position. He knows when he's in a better passing position. He'll find those lanes. He'll create those lanes if he needs to. Uh, not afraid to dig a puck out of the corner uh, when when uh, that opportunity arises. And it's just been consistent. He's consistent this year. He's got 21 points in 15 games. Had a point a game in the playoffs. And I think a few people started to take a little bit more notice of Matthew Catafort in that playoff, uh, abbreviated playoff run, I should say, for the Mooses when they took a vastly superior Agni Bathurst team to five games in a best of five first round series and lost by in an, in what was essentially a one goal game in, in the clincher. But um, Matthew's a B-rated prospect, as you uh, mentioned, Jamie, probably about a third rounder thereabouts at this point. Um, Consistent points in 13 to 15 games and is coming off a gold medal performance at the 2022 Holinka Gretzky Cup. And although he didn't show up on the scoreboard a lot, he had one one point in the entire tournament. I know for the period that I was actually watching the tournament, you heard his name off the announcer's tongues quite a bit just proof that he was in the right spot at the right time. It may not have shown up at the scoreboard in that specific instance, but he was certainly generating and, and the coaching staff was not afraid to put him out in most situations. Yeah. And everything about him, it seemed like he had a really good tournament and that, that strong play has carried over so far into the, the start of the, the Q season. We're going to wrap things up here fairly soon. Uh, just quickly touch on the player of the week. It's Riley Kidney of the Acti Bathurst Teton. Um, 100 points last year with the Titan and um, also a part of that team that eliminated the Halifax Mooseheads in round one back in the spring of 2022. He had seven points in two games this past uh, week as the Titan went 2-0, two goals and assist against Blainville. Um, that was on Friday night and then the following night against Bakelmo, two goals, two assists, first four-point game of the year. Also had the overtime winner in that one in a couple of very back-and-forth games and uh, – you know, uh, Jamie, you know, uh, Riley Kidney, a member of the gold medal winning entry at the World Juniors this past summer, 14 Canada, uh, a guy who maybe doesn't get as much recognition as some others of his caliber. But when you look at the score sheet at the end of the night, you generally see his name. Yeah, a little bit of an underrated guy, which is a little strange for someone who's a, a Montreal prospect, but I'm sure. Mm. As the season continues, maybe we'll see a little bit more um, on pace for another 100-point year. Um, and I think probably a guy who we're going to be talking about for many years because the Acrobathers Teton rebuild um, will probably be centered around a potential Riley Kidney trade. So I imagine he'll be a very wanted man um, at the trade deadline. Yeah, definitely. He's got the pedigree, and if, if the price is right, uh, no doubt uh, we, uh, we could see something uh, – in the way of movement there. So, of course, Riley Kidney on the team of the week, as you would expect, along with the aforementioned Ivan Ivan. Joshua Wall rounds out the forward core there. David, David Spatchek and Nicolas Savoy of Sherbrooke and Quebec, uh, respectively, by the way. Will the Quebec Ramparts ever lose another game? I don't know. 
points in, I, I believe. See. Yeah, I know. That doesn't seem like something that's going to happen this year, but uh, points in, I believe, 13 straight at this point. And uh, those two defensemen are on the team of the week as, long, as well as Victoriaville goaltender Nathan Darvo. And just quickly, let's talk about a couple of matchups coming up this week. One's taking place tomorrow night. Uh, the Mooseheads are hosting the Moncton Wildcats. Both of those teams were in the latest CHL Top 10. Those rankings will probably be refreshed by the time this podcast comes out. But as of last week, Halifax was ninth. Hel- Moncton was an honorable mention. Gatineau and Rouen Noranda, two teams that are only separated by one point in the Western Conference. They'll face off on Thursday night, as will Victoriaville and Blainville Boisbriand. And that's part of a home-and-home. Home. The return matches in Victoriaville on Friday between two teams that are also jockeying for position. In the case of the Blainfeld Blob Beyond Armada, a team that's looking to get something going after some uh, relatively lofty expectations earlier this year. Yeah, it seems like they're kind of kind of figuring it out, and some of their better players are starting to pick it up now. So that's good to see. You know, Josh Lawrence had a hat trick this past weekend. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to this game on Tuesday, Moncton Halifax. That's going to be a big showdown. Probably going to be a pretty good rivalry this year and next year as well. Um, another game I'm looking forward to that on Friday, Drummondville and Moncton, two, uh, two teams who are hot right now uh, going head-to-head. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, going to be a pretty action-packed week, as it normally is in the queue. Um, and we thank you for taking some of your time to listen to us as we try and fill you in on all the news that has taken place and the news yet to come. For Jamie Tozer, I'm Will McLaren, and we thank you once again for listening to yet another edition of the Hockey News on the Queue. We will catch you next week.